Hello, this is Mrs. Paranormal. It is a Sunday afternoon. It's 1216 Wisconsin time. I'm at home. It's actually about 49 degrees out with the wind. It actually makes it a little colder. Hope everybody's doing well and you had a great work week or if you're on vacation or you're retired or whatever it is that you're doing. I hope you had a wonderful week and thank you everybody for listening to my podcast. It means a lot to me. It means you guys still are listening to me and you keep coming back for more. So I shall keep doing this. Nothing new is going on with me. Um, as you know, I mentioned in the last podcast that I'm not doing the asylum because, yeah, long story, whatever. It's okay. Like I said, I got to do it for, what, about a year or so? So I'm fine. I got my fill. And I know I mentioned it before. It's it's very um, draining just because, obviously, you're in the dark and you're sitting on cement and it's it's cold. You know what I'm saying? And the next day, I always felt like I had a cold, but it was just a... The icky air down there so no worries ghosts were friendly to me i'm all good i don't have any investigations coming up that i'm aware of we'll see you never know right although i have a lot of paranormal friends okay they're not really friends or acquaintances because they don't keep in touch with me <laughs> but yet i see them posting that they're doing this and going here and there i'm like fine whatever anyways life goes on right i can investigate all by myself if i wanted to it's just not as fun or as exciting you know what i mean so, um, I know I made a mention about somebody coming up with a, like, an image of a, a ghost for my shirt, but nobody did, so whatever. I'm going to create my own, and I'm going to start working on that probably this week, because I've got not too much going on. So, what else is going on? That's about it. Uh, Paranormal-wise, paranormal-wise, actually, it's kind of a funny story, you guys. I was dropping my friend off at a, a place to get a rental car, okay? And we're sitting in there, and we're waiting for the guy. And this lady comes in with this shirt. And it's for a local, a newer local haunted area. Well, it's a school. It's newer. That um, they've recently started doing tours on. And I was telling my friend, Amanda, I was telling her, I'm like, oh my God, check out her shirt. And I made a mention of the school and this, that, and the other. And that this lady walks in. Where does I look, I look at her and go, nice shirt. And she goes, thanks. And she's like an older lady. You know, no big deal. And she goes, thanks. And I'm like, and then we started chit-chatting. And then I told her how I would do, I did tours at the asylum. And she said she went a couple years ago. And then she's going like this September because there's like a full moon. And I told her, I said, I was supposed to go last night, which was Saturday night. But they didn't need me. I lied a little bit. That's okay, though. She doesn't need to know the truth. So um, we went on. And we had talked about it. And I told her how I helped them with the school. I did. I was able to go like one day to help clean up and wipe things down and stuff like that. So I just thought it was freaking funny, y'all. <laughs> and then, I don't know, it's just weird. Maybe it's the universe giving me a sign. Who knows, right? So that was very strange. Of all places, you know, it talked about a small freaking world, and later it was like, oh my god, that's so cool, and yeah, yeah, maybe I'll see you in September. I'm thinking, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I just sort of went along with it. Um, House has been relatively quiet. I haven't had any strange dreams or anything like that. Uh, but you guys know you can always email me at p-a-t-t-o-i-i-n-w at gmail.com or our Facebook page is Wisconsin Investigators of the Supernatural. Wisconsin Investigators of the Supernatural. You can message me there. Uh, we're not taking on any residential cases, because honestly, it's been like freaking four years. So no big deal there. Uh, if we ever do get to do a, a public one, that would be awesome. But chances are I'd probably be going by myself. Which, like I said, it's no much, it's no fun, you know? So, anyways. So, 
I did find some really interesting stories. I literally just brought, found these stories just now. I have not really proofread them at all. Not that I ever do. This is a raw podcast. So we'll see how they go. It's, it's somebody's kind of like a blog on haunted areas, like from the 1900s and stuff like that. I've never seen it before. So let's see how this goes. Bear with me. Bear. Okay. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> sorry about the cars in the background, you guys. I'm at home. So, uh, let's see. I would go in my basement, but it's still loud down there. So, apparently, let's see if I could back this up here. Newspaper reports of a haunted house in 1902 through 1904. And this was published in 2014. So, you guys, I like to try and bring up archives of, of, uh, why did I stutter? I don't know. <gasps> Excuse me. <laughs> I like to bring up archive stories from like 2014, 2016, 2004. And it's really, really hard to Excuse me. It's really hard to find. But I really thrive on those because I know those are, to me, more genuine. Excuse me. Than all the news stories out of their 2021, 2022. It's like, come on. So it's really hard to find archives. My phone battery's getting low. Oh, dear. Okay. Anyways, her name is Katie, who wrote this. That's all I'll say. All right. On February 13th, 1902, the Denver Times... Oh, it's in Denver, by the way. <laughs> the Denver Times reported the following. The haunted house at the corner of 19th and Grant Avenue narrowly escapes dis destruction last night by firebugs who ignited the place. The house, which has been empty for at least three years, was, one, was at one time owned by a wealthy family, J.A. Fleming, a real estate man who has charge of the property cannot rent it on the account of reputation of being haunted. And they have a, they show a screenshot. I can't read the writing. Though. I don't know if I could zoom in. I don't know. Oh, it just mentions the lot and the address, which is actually really cool. It's an actual documentation. Um, oh, here is Denver assessors record showing the location of the home owned by James A. Fleming. And then that's the screenshot. So by June 18th, 1903, the Denver Times reported that the three-story, 14-room brick residence was looked upon by neighbors and the city health department officials as a public nuisance and determined that determined to section the city as due to rumors of it being haunted. The newspapers reported that the house had been occupied for 10 years and was now the sleeping place of tramps. Oh, dear. Oh, and then they got... Uh, screenshots of newspapers. It says, Ghostly reveals in musty garret of haunted house. Haunted house is damaged by fire. Grant Avenue haunted house is declared to be a public nuisance. Various headlines on the newspaper. That was what that was. That's kind of neat. So on November 4th, 1904, the Rocky Mountain News ran a story entitled, Ghostly reveals in musty garret of haunted house. Which... Detailed a seance that was performed in the home. Here we go. A haunted house. The scene. The scene. Oh, there we go. Big rambling, dusting, cobwebbed, bare rooms. Plastering falling off the off the walls and the doors. Um, doors battered down. Windows boarded up. The air was musty, which makes sense. It's been boarded up for a long time, right? For at least 22 years, it shows. The very atmosphere is pressed with tents of mystery, creaking, whistling windows, and old drafts. As from graves. I don't get that. In such a place last night, a crowd of 14 persons sat for four hours in darkness while waiting for ghostly manifestations. 
It was there that last. It was there that last night that a group of spiritualists, under the leadership of Madame Thompson, a medium, endeavored to bring out the stories of the formal <laughs> forms of several suicides and murder victims supposed to be roaming restless there. Huh. In a room on the third floor of the house, the group joined hands, extinguishing a solitary candle and sang the hymn. Near my God to thee, as Madame Thompson began her seance, and an, an, an unearthly scream frightened the group. It was soon discovered, however, that the noises had orientated from a few latecomers from the seance. The ceremony continued, and one woman in the room claimed to, be, claimed to see a vision of a, a fair, beautiful girl, her low neck gown stained hideous red. The article describes the frightening details of the science, science, seance in which several women claimed to fall into trances and communicate with those who had died violently in the house. The reporter describes one such trance. A pretty young girl shrieked aloud in ter terror as she shrank back in her seat, throwing her hands to her ears to keep the horrible sounds out. And then another moment, the woman had risen. Huh? But again, again. But again, she went into a trance and rose to the middle of the floor. I'm shot, she cried and fell heavily. With, a painful, care, with painful care, she drew herself to her hands and knees, crawled slowly along. Oh, oh, they've got me. And, the sh and, the s and she shank. What the fuck? And she, shank she sank prone. She sank prone. I don't know what that means. She sank down, maybe? Ugh. Then in a weird, tremulous voice, she again commenced, and now they've, they're going through my pockets. They're going through my pockets, and I'm, I'm dead. As the article went on to report, the Denver police had their own ideas about the origins of the ghosts, quote, unquote. They asserted that absolutely no crime, as far as they knew, had been committed at the house. They believed the rumors started by a prospective purchaser looking to drive the price of the home down and the structure's long period of vacancy led to reputations of being haunted. Well, that was neat. How'd I do? Did I do the acting? <laughs> Trying to work on that, guys. That was a neat little story, huh? Okay, what else have we got? What else? What else? What else? What else? Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> a ghost in Georgetown, 1868. Saloon, Georgetown, Colorado. Anybody listens to podcasts live in Colorado? Oh, by the way, the house that they're talking about is now uh, an apartment complex, so it's gone. All right, a, here's another one. A game of cards gone bad results in a shot from a pistol and later a lynching of a shooter. Ooh, the shooter got lynched. Aye. Soon after, the Rocky Mountain News declared, Georgetown has a haunted house. And when the door is in the home, when the doors in the home closest to where the lynch occurred open and slammed on their own, and a man with a rope around his neck is seen wearing or wandering the property. God, I wish I could read right. It's frustrating for you guys, huh? You're like, come on, Patty. Come on. Beginning on April 20th, the second and the third floors of the Bell, sorry, the Blair Caldwell Branch. I don't know what's that. No, I know that's something else. They're talking about something else. Sorry about that, guys. It was the top of the story, but it was talking about a library and where you can get these archives. It's where they're talking about. So I apologize. Georgetown has a haunted house, proclaimed the. The December 26, 1868 issue of the Rocky Mountain News. And it reads as, The ghost of Bainbridge, who was hung by a vigilance, yeah, vigilance committee, 
has returned to Earth to vex and worry the people who lived in the house hard by fatal tree. That's what it says, I swear. It's opened doors that are locked and slams them in a way supposed to be natural for a housebreaker. <laughs> One citizen, keen perspection, perception, has seen him with the rope still around his neck. The family was moved away. The miner tells all about it. And there's like a, a letter of warning by the Committee of Vigilantes. Vigilantes. 1870. And they show like a, a screenshot of it. It's actually kind of cool. Neat. All right. This this is the, the blogger talking. This article led me to the to question who Bainbridge was and just what had he done to have been lynched by a vigilante group. I thought vigilante was bad. Like a vigilante. I thought it was like a... When I hear the word vigilante, I think that's bad. Like a gang. Right? Not like... Back in the day, I thought they... Like if you did something bad, it was the sheriff that would do it. You know, but... I don't even wrong. All right, what do we got here? By looking, by looking in the Western History Subject Index and when the Rocky Mountain News on micro... I would love to do this. Oh, God damn, I'd love... I seriously, in my mind, I think about going to the library and pulling up a little microfilm, you know, and finding stories like this. But where I live, guys, it's not all that exciting. All right. We learn from Mr. J.P. Waterman, who has just arrived from Georgetown that a man named Ed Bainbridge shot another by the name of Mar Martin yesterday evening. <laughs> a dispute arose over a, go figure, a dispute arose over a game of cards when Bainbridge drew his pistol and deliberately shot Martin through the head. Ew. The ball penetrating his forehead. Martin died instantly. It was reported in the Central that the murder would be a lynching. Oh, and our information thinks he has been strung up. I don't know what that means. Okay, let's we'll move ahead. So it's April 25th, 1867. Reports of Bainbridge gruesome hanging by an angry mob appeared in the Rocky. In the Rocky. Just a few days later, on April 29th, this article also mentioned that Martin was actually still alive but was not accepted to, expected to recover. Would you get a bullet in the head? Well, I suppose it depends on where the bullet hits, huh? Hmm. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Many books and web pages have been written about the ghost of Edward Bainbridge haunting Georgetown, but few can point to the document evidence about Brain Bainbridge's life. Where was Bainbridge from? Was he a minor? Did he have a history of violence? Right? Um, what else? Uh, that's it. Oh. Um, you may want to get a hold of Becky Penland, Edward Bridges. Bainbridge was found to be haunting her cafe, and the world-renowned psychic Peter James visited and verified that he was haunting the cafe. Once while working there, I turned around. The coffee machine was making coffee. I had unplugged the machine, and it was still unplugged, but yet it was making coffee. Interesting. Well, what else we got here? James Martin, the guy that Edward Bainbridge shot, actually did not die. Everyone just assumed that he would. After Bainbridge was lynched, his ghost has been seen in Georgetown many times. One notable event happened at the Point of Rocks in the late 1800s. The card game was over and over a can of oysters. Bainbridge was also brag also bragged that he was a part of um, a massacre. He was part of a massacre in Utah. Bainbridge was the first person to die in Georgetown. 
His bones were later dug up and put on display at a doctor's home in Georgetown. The house still stands to this day, but the owners never allow us entry. Citing Nate. What? Oh. That's another interesting one. Why would they put their bones on display? I don't know. Ooh, a Denver house that inspired a horror film. Part one, part two, part three. Um, what's the, the challenging? I've never seen that movie yet. It's on my list. Oh, I did not know that. Well, so let me scroll back up here. Cheese Man's Park past life as a cemetery. Transform into, okay. As a park does, a cemetery is turned into a park. Now, it's no secret that Denver, <laughs> it's no secret in Denver that Cheeseman Park, what a silly name for a park, Cheeseman, <laughs> and the botanical, the Denver Botanical Gardens sit on land that was once served as a cemetery grounds. Mount Prospect Cemetery opened on the 160 acres site in 1850, oh boy, 1858 and in 1865. 40 acres of the cemetery became Mount Calvary, a burial place for Catholics. In 1872, Congress decreed that the site of the Mount Prospect was technically federal land. The land was sold to the city of Denver with the provision that it was that it always will serve as a cemetery. Now in 1873, the cemetery became known as Denver City Cemetery. By 1800s, the city of Denver was pleading with the Congress to change the status of the land from cemetery to parkland. On January 25th in 1890, Congress acceded their demands and the Denver City Cemetery became Congress Park. Now in 1893, the task of moving 5,000 graves began. Why in the hell? Why in the hell would you do this? I don't... Are you, to me, that's being very selfish. These people are fucking, oh my God. Why would you do this? This is sacred land. These are people's lives and their souls are actually in the soil. You know, from the trees and all that. And the, it, it, Oh my God, to me, that's extremely selfish. <gasps> I can see if like if it's like known to be flooding and, you know, you have the, the tendency for the graves to come up and weird stuff like that. But just because you want to be a freaking park... How selfish is that? Not, oh, well, that just, that just irritates the hell out of me. Can you tell? <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry, guys. I'm on a tangent there. Now, in 1893, the task of moving 5,000 graves began under the management of Undertaker E as in Edward, B as in Paul McGovern. Due to the mis, <laughs> due to the mishandling of the project, including allegations of, what the hell? Allegations of dis membering corpses so they could be placed in childside coffins oh, mcgovern was inf was famously dismissed before all the graves could be relocated oh my god you guys oh <laughs> i got a scene of a movie or something i'm reading denver mayor robert w spear a proponent of the City Beautiful Movement in early uh, 1900s looked to beautify Congress Park, but claimed the city did not have the funds to do so. He encouraged the benefactors to, don to donate, but 
didn't have any success until the widow of the children of Walter Scott Cheeseman, 1838-1907, came forward with $100,000 for Pavilion Park. Park Pavilion. Hence, the park became known as Cheeseman Park. In 1950, the city of Denver successfully persuaded the Catholic Archdiocese of Denver to, to deed the Mount Calvary land back to the city. While a city botanic garden was originally planned for the construction of the park, it was relocated again. It was relocated on Mount Calvary site. The Denver Bo- Botanical Garden was get dedicated in six, 1966. Oh, old cemeteries, and there's look at they're showing. What what happened to the rest of the bodies? What the hell? What? Oh. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through. What the frack? What? What happened to the? What? So they're still buried in the park? Oh my god. Surveying notes of Congress Park. It's actually kind of neat that they put these photos in here. Cheeseman Memorial, Cheeseman Memorial, Denver. Perspective view towards North Denver Botanical Gardens. What the frack? That's crazy, right? They knew they were building on top of a cemetery, but the, all the bodies weren't even moving. They did. They continued. I get. Dude, really weird, man. All right, what's this? Uh, let me see what this is. Dark history of an abandoned institution. Um, uh, oh, scrolling. <laughs> I found a history articles detailing the comp- complicated. History of the institution. In night in the nineteen forties, forced what? Article after article outlined problem Ridge Home had over the deck. Okay, so it's called Ridge Home. When I was a teenager in Colorado, there were ex- existing abandoned buildings in Arvada. The site was formerly home of the Colorado State Home and Training School, also known as Ridge Home, also known as Home of the Mental Defectives, and now. And naturally, kids shared story. Naturally, kids sh- shared stories of this insane asylum. So this person went on the search to find stuff, and what they found was that in 1940s, forced sterilization was practiced on a regular basis. I have to be honest; I don't know what that means. In the 1950s, one newspaper article quoted an administrator who said that many of the homes, many of the homes, adult patients were far too mentally competent to be in the home were there because their families abandoned them. He blamed poor testing practices and the patient's youth was admitted for uh, for the oversight. 1970s, parts of the campus were ordered closed because of cracks in the walls and foundation causing shifting ground. Fire safety was also deemed inadequate as the buildings were lacking both fire escapes and, oh my goodness, and exit paths in case of emergency. In 1980s, there was a report of residents being neglected due to understaffing and lack of funding for proper tra- training the staff. At least one member of the staff was sent to prison after, be- after, <laughs> after being convicted of abusing multiple patients and bragging about it to friends. In 1988, a newspaper article reports constant break-ins by thrill 
Filthy guns. Thrill seekers, teenagers, and homeless people looking to get warm? Okay, I got it. In 1992, Ridge Home was closed for good. Hmm. Kind of interesting, right? So those are just some of the stories that I found this morning while perusing the internet, looking into archive. So, uh, it's about 24 minutes in, so thank you everybody for taking 24 minutes out of your day to listen to me stumble and fumble and flip and fall. And go on a tangent about uh, not moving all the bodies and just being disrespectful. They're bones, yeah, but there was this... Uh, I won't even start. <laughs> I won't even start. So you guys have a great work week, vacation, uh, retirement, whatever it is that you are doing. Please take care of yourself. And you can always uh, Facebook me at Wisconsin Investigators of the Supernatural. And you can email me at p-a-t-t-y-i-n-w at gmail.com. Everybody take care. This is Mrs. Paranormal signing off.